Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Hi, welcome to the Feathered Desert, and uh, this is Cheryl, and Kirsten's with me. And today, the podcast is about questions asked. I'll just put it out there, mostly mine, <laughs> and answers found. So often when we are doing this podcast, Kirsten and I ask quest- questions, or sometimes um, we get questions um, th- through the link um, from listeners. And we just put, we just, if it's Kirsten and I during the podcast, we just put the question out there. Well, I decided to go ahead and find some answers to some of ours, mostly my, many <laughs> questions. And so Kirsten has the um, first answer. All right. First of all, I want to say apologize if you get annoyed by the cricket sound behind us. He is somewhere in our room where we record this podcast and we can't find him. So <laughs> It's bothering Kirsten. It's bothering me. <laughs> uh, so hopefully it doesn't bother any of you. So our first question was from our podcast, Waterfowl of the Phoenix Valley. And this was a great question. Uh, What drives the color changes in the ruddy duck's bill? And I remember Cheryl asking that question. I said, I don't know. So Cheryl found this answer. The male ruddy duck's bill changes to a vibrant blue in the spring. A duck's bill is covered with a sheath of tough material called keratin, which is the same thing that makes our hair and nails. And hormones surging from this keratin, um, they surge into this keratin that covers the blue bill. So the health of the male ruddy duck is also reflected in how blue and even the color is in his bill. And that is an indicator to the female of maybe this is a male that I want to be with. So the bill starts to change its color in the late fall as hormone levels start to rise. And then this is the time where these ducks are starting to pair up. So it's hormone levels that change mm-hmm. the keratin in that and, and make it blue. So he's kind of a grayish color in the off season. In, in the off season, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's a genetic, but the nutrition plays a part because the bluer the bill, the healthier the duck. Yes. So this is true of um, other types of ducks as well, such as the fulvous whistling duck um, that has blue feet. Yeah. And the healthier so it works the duck. The same way. Yeah, works the same way. So the healthier the duck, the bluer the feet. Um, but it's the hormones in the late fall and winter that drives the color change. I found that so interesting because usually we think of hormones in the spring. Right. But they're like ahead. Yeah, they kind of have to, it's like putting your makeup on before you go to the ball. Yeah. you got to get ready to look good. Yeah, so, so he, they've got to find, um, maintain their health all year. Yeah. Yeah. There's no um, relaxation for the, the ruddy duck. No vacation. you gotta, you got to go to the gym every day. <laughs> you can't skip. No skipping. Especially around the holidays. <laughs> okay. So I have um, the next uh, question, and it's from the podcast uh, Birds in Love, the courtship displays of desert birds, which we did in February of this year. We often find ourselves laughing over the inept abilities of morning doves' nests building. At least that is the way we see it, their ineptitude. Yes. And I want. I just put it out there I wonder if that was really true and Kirsten and I were laughing about that in the podcast so summer is the breeding season for doves so they have to work hard because they have an important job to do and despite the heat doves will have two to six broods between March and November so they're very busy 
The desert provides an abundance of nutrition in the way of seeds, um, pods, cactus fruits um, during the hottest months, and doves are well equipped to use this bounty to their advantage to produce a crop milk for their young. Now, those laughable stick nests doves build is another adaption to raising young in the hot months here in the desert. Now, I totally, they totally blew me away with this. Yeah. A dove's nest is built actually to protect the eggs and young from the dangerous heat. The slightest movement of air passing passes easily through the loosely woven sticks, stick, twigs, oh my gosh, sticks and twigs. Yes. <laughs> cooling the eggs and hatchlings. Doves turn their eggs throughout the hottest part of the day to keep them from cooking in the heat. Now, who knew? We all just who thought they knew? were stupid. Yes, we just, we did. And here they are, um, just proving us wrong again with yeah. their adoption abilities. And it's one of the reasons that we have so many doves is because they're so well adapted to their environment. It's, it's. I don't know. It's almost mind-boggling how well they've adapted, and they can pretty much deal with almost anything that nature throws at them. So, no more laughing at the no. three sticks and an egg. Now, now at least we have an answer, <laughs> yes. so when we giggle about it, we know why. Yes. All right. So, our next question is from the podcast Feathers, and the question was, why does a bird actually need to know how fast it's going? Because we were talking about the types of feathers that they have specifically to help them find out how fast we're going. And the question was like, well, why do you really need to know that? So um, this is a question that asked when we were discussing, of course, our different types of feathers, as I just said. So birds have feathers that help them determine their speed. And those are um, the semi-bristles and bristles that they have. Mm -hmm. um, so why is this important? Well, scientists don't really have the full answer to this question, but here's what we do know. There are muscles connected to the bottom of every feather, which lets the bird move whenever required. They, if they need to move a feather, they can move it. So when in flight, as a bird waves its wings down, the feathers move all together. Then as the bird waves its wings up, the feathers move apart to enable air to pass through. This is how a bird gets lift. So larger birds' wings produce greater lift than smaller wings. So smaller winged birds need to fly faster to maintain the same lift as those with larger wings. Wing loading tells you how fast a bird must fly to be able to maintain lift. So wing loading equals weight slash wing area. Now I'm having a Cheryl moment because this is getting into math. And my brain is like, stop, stop, stop talking no, right now. But this finally made sense to me. That's why they need to know. Right. It's 100% why they need to know. But my brain is like skittering right now. It's like too much math. So anyways, the birds need to know how to determine how fast they're going so that they can actually take off. Yes. So speed is important. So those bristle type feathers are allowing them to... Not really calculate it like we would sit down and actually yes. calculate it in our brain, but it's kind of intuitive for them. Yes. They know exactly, but those feathers are what's helping them make this determination. So cruising speed for most bird species is anywhere between 20 to 30 miles per hour. However, if they're being chased or if they're doing the chasing, they can certainly fly considerably faster because that would be important. And it is interesting that the size of the bird has uh, little bearing on the speed at which it can fly. 
I mean, if you think about it, hummingbirds can fly really fast, and they're teeny, teeny, tiny. Yeah. And so that's why they need to know how fast they're flying. Yeah, so the feathers, actually, the, the feathers that you mentioned, Kirsten, are just important with lift because the bird needs to realize whether it can lift off or whether it has to do one more time. Right, you know, exactly. its wings one more time. Yeah. I was like... <gasps> I get it. It's like this little light bulb went off. Yeah, you're like, ding, oh, it's actually yes. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Okay, so I have the question, which I actually um, asked Kirsten this, and she did give me um, this answer, and then I went a little further with it. So Absolutely. So brown-headed cowbirds are nest parasites, meaning females lay their eggs in the nest of smaller birds. Each cowbird chick is raised by foster parents of another species. Yet young cowbirds hang out with other young cowbirds before their first winter. So my question was, how do they gain a sense of self? How do they know they're a cowbird? Right. Well, scientists are still working on this. So they didn't have a direct answer. But So you had a more direct answer than I could find. But it seems that cowbirds, which is what Kirsten, Kirsten also reiterated this, Learn to recognize each other through sight and sound. Cowbirds nestlings recognize adult cowbird songs at six days old. Young cowbirds inspect their own appearance and choose to hang with birds that look like them. So this information leads scientists to believe there is a genetic component to recognition, which is what you originally told Yes, me. they have this when they're a year old, it clicks in their brain. They hear a cowbird song and it clicks in their brain and like, all oh, right, that I'm a cowbird. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I need to be mating with other cowbirds. Yeah, like a uh, switch goes off. Yeah. But they're pre-programmed to pick up things that leads them to turn that switch on. Right. And so it's just, it's like an imprint on their brain. Mm -hmm. Because they're obviously hearing the song of their foster parents. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's just amazing how they know that that's not the song they right they that that's mimic. not the song they need to sing when they grow up to yeah. have parent to have a mate it's just and the fact that they recognize they recognize that they don't look like you know they're being raised by a house sparrow but they don't look like their sibling house sparrow right they don't look like the person who, the house sparrow that's feeding them they recognize that they look different yeah it's amazing the way nature has imprinted certain things on certain birds and then other bird species are so dependent on learning from their parents and uh these guys have evolved to kind of already have that memory in there and then it's like they're like a, a russian sleeper spy once they hear that <laughs> song it's like boom i'm a cowbird <laughs> and how they found this out was even just more fascinating but it would take a whole podcast to explain it the studies that they do how they yes. how they did that yeah all right, so talking about learning, our next question is, how do birds learn? And songbirds can acquire new abilities both through observation and through trial and error. So a bird is able to learn by observation and by imitation of others. And this is a highly controversial subject because for a long, long time, we thought as human beings we were the only things, the only creatures on the planet that could learn through imitation. And we were proven wrong once we started studying chimpanzees and um, larger apes and then the lesser apes. And now it seems that birds are also proving us wrong. 
So as an example, blue jays, which um, are also corvids, I would mm-hmm. like to mention, can learn to tell the edible from the inedible caterpillars by watching the reaction of other blue jays. I just found this so When they attempt cool. to eat a caterpillar. And I love this one because, of course, caterpillars are a big thing for me. Those of you who've listened, love them. And um, that's what it is. When we were, when I was teaching people about monarch butterflies and their life cycle, they'd always ask, well, do birds eat them? And I'm like, well, one of them usually gives one up for the rest of them because there will be inevitably a blue jay, at least, that will try them. And they do. They eat them, and they taste so bad, like so bad that the little taste buds in a bird's mouth, which are not incredibly attuned, are so nasty, he spits it out and he makes this like gross face and other blue jays around him are like, oh, don't eat that guy. And they all make, they all <laughs> make, exactly right. they do, they make a note to say, okay, note to self, don't eat that butterfly or that caterpillar. And um, so there's always one monarch caterpillar that has to give his life for everybody else, a season. So um, birds that learn through observing other birds master the task almost from the very beginning. So observational learning is faster than trial and error. And I'm, if I'm ever a bird, I hope I'm a blue jay. I really like, I really like blue jays. And I so want to pay attention instead of trying to eat the caterpillar myself. I'm going to let that guy over there eat it. Like someone always says, this tastes horrible. Try it. Like, why? You told me it's horrible. I want to eat it. So that's what the jays are doing there. Um, So birds that learned a skill through trial and error were better able to generalize and adapt that skill to new situations. So there's a little on each side. Mm -hmm. Trial and error is good as Mm -hmm. well. Because then you can use those skills that you learned in that one to a new situation. And those birds, um, I'm sorry, the, the birds that learn through observation. So there's a little bit of good between each one. Observation, don't eat that caterpillar. You don't get the nasty taste. You'll learn it a whole lot faster. Right. Um, but if you were the one who ate the caterpillar, you're going to take that and generalize it to another caterpillar that kind of looks the same or may have the same colors, and you're going to avoid um, eating it all together. Whereas in your buddy over here might eat another caterpillar that tastes gross. So trial and error learning took longer, but it provided the opportunity for the bird to think outside the box on its own. So that's very cool. I just, I, it's amazing what we learn about birds every day. They're still studying it, and um, I couldn't find um, concrete right. um, information. Well, like they're still that, studying yeah, so much still stuff. Yeah, they're studying so much of it that it's birds are a whole new science actually. they really are because we underestimated them for so long yes and we're just learning more and more things about them every day so there's so much more so much uh, more uh we do not know about birds and scientists cannot learn any of it fast enough because yeah. the more we know about them the more we become interested in them and the more we can help them survive in the human world absolutely so go ahead ask the question maybe no one has the thought maybe no one's thought of it yet And you may be the one to find the answer. 